Hey, um, I want to begin this morning playing a little game. Anybody like games? I happen to love games as long as I'm winning. But, the, um, but, but we're going to play a little game. It's called Name That Good Person. Name That Good Person. And it's super easy. Everybody can play. I'm going to put some pictures of people on the screen. And if you think they're good, you just give, give a thumbs up. If you think they're bad, you give them a thumbs down. Everybody good with that? You clear? And uh, if, if you're paying attention, I've got some prizes at the end, all right? So there's an incentive involved. So, so here's the first picture. Mother Teresa, good or bad? Good? All right. Charles Manson, good? No, bad. All right, all right. The Dalai Lama, think he's a good guy? We got some, like, in-between people. I didn't, that was not an option. This is not an option. All right, good, bad. All right, Bill Gates. Oh, I mean, just a year ago, he would have probably gotten the thumbs up. Hmm, how times change. And how about this one, Sutton Worth. Come on, people. Pains me. You know, last week he said he, he's the pastor that cares. I want to be known as the pastor who is fun and funny, all right? He can have all the caring. The, uh, here's the thing. Any, does anybody here think that none of them were good? Anybody? We got a couple, a few. All right, you guys are actually the winners. Because according to God, no one is good. No one is good. Um, in Paul's letter to the Roman church, speaking on behalf of God, he said, there's no one who is righteous, not even one. And he goes on to say, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the reality is, no one's really good. Not even Mother Teresa, the Dalai Lama, or Sutton Wirt. <laughs> now, if you happen to get the right answer, I thought maybe just one person was going to get it right, so I had a Mr. Good bar. You get it? Good <laughs> bar. And it's a slow group this morning. Let me see. And then uh, if there were multiples, I got another one. Uh, I got these little mini buenos. For my non-Spanish-speaking friends here, that means good, all right? So uh, you can get a little good at the end. I'll have them up here. You just, it's the honor system. Uh, you just come and, and help yourself. Do not touch the Mr. Good bar. All right, so here's the thing. We tend to bristle at this notion that we're not good, Right? Like, don't most of us consider ourselves good? Like, I'm a good person, or I'm certainly better than so-and-so. We don't like to consider ourselves as bad, do we? But notice this. So imagine everybody here says they're good. But if I were to ask you, and I'm going to ask you now, have you ever sinned? Have you ever done anything bad? I bet most of you would raise your hand, wouldn't you? right? And if you didn't raise your hand, then you're a liar, <laughs> right? And you are bad. You see, we, we tend to differentiate, don't we? So we, we, we think we're good, and yet pretty much all of us admit that we have been bad, that we've sinned. And so what does that really make us? Does that make us like good sinners or bad sinners? And, and how would you differentiate between a good sinner and a bad sinner? 
Wouldn't you need some kind of universal standard, some kind of measurement to determine who's really a good sinner and who's a really bad sinner? And I think we have this universal standard that's been given to us. Um, Most of us refer to it as the Ten Commandments. And, And I think it's a universal standard. If you go pretty much, and I think everywhere in the world, I believe most, if not all people, regardless of what their you know, predominant religion would be, would say, it's wrong to lie. It's wrong to cheat. It's wrong to steal. It's wrong to murder. It's wrong to commit adultery. We would, across the globe, say those things are wrong. We would also say it's right to honor your parents. And it's right to honor God, no matter who you say he or she or it may be. I think there is a universal standard out there. And so if we've got this standard, how do we use it to determine who the good sinners are and who the bad sinners are? Like, are you a good sinner if you just, you know, break some of those commands every now and again? Or you only break sort of the the lesser sins, you know, not like the big kind of sins. Does that make you a good sinner? What sounds kind of ridiculous, doesn't it? This idea of being a good sinner sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? And, you know, maybe there's somebody here, probably somebody watching online who thinks, well, you know what? I've never done any of those things. I've I've never lied. I've never cheated. I've never stolen. I've never murdered somebody. You know, I've certainly not committed adultery. I've never committed one of these outward sins. But, you know, Jesus raised the bar on us. And in Matthew 5, if you go read that, he he said, you know what? Like, if you've been angry with somebody, if you're holding on to anger towards somebody, if you're, you're saying that fool, well, guess what? You're guilty of murder. And and he said, you know, if, if you're lusting after somebody else, you're you're guilty of adultery. He, he said it's not just what you do outwardly, but it's also what you do inward, inwardly, what you're thinking about. And so under those standards, I don't think any of us are good, are we? We would all fail the test. We would fail to meet the standard that God has established. Now, Son brought this up last week. He, he talked about how um, that's not a popular message today, right? In our society, especially, that most people think they're good and have really embraced this philosophy called secular humanism. Secular humanism. And again, um, what that is, it, it's this belief that humans are or can be morally and ethically good that they can be morally and ethically good apart from God, apart from God. I I was doing a little research this week, and I found, did you know there's a symbol for secular humanism? So they've got their own symbol. This is it. It's called the happy human. So uh, if that's your symbol, you're a happy human, I guess. But uh, that's their symbol. And then I, I came across this. So the American Humanist Association, they've got a slogan, and this is it. It's good without a God. Good without a God. That's their slogan. Now, 
I've been around pretty long now, so I've got the benefit of time and watching how people react and interact. I, along with probably everybody in here, have studied a little bit of history, and I'm convinced that apart from God's intervention, humans are not inherently good, and we won't progressively become good, moral, and ethical. I, I don't think that's our nature. I think apart from God's intervention, we actually become worse, not better. I, I was just looking in the news this week. Look at what's going on on the border of Ukraine with Russia. It, it tells me that's sort of the nature of humanity. We're not morally good and ethical. We're, we're bad. And again, that's not a message that most people want to want to hear. Now, we're going to look at what God says about us as humans this morning. We're in the second week of a four-week series, um, really just taking, taking a look at why do we need the gospel and what makes it good? Why do we need the gospel and what makes it good or good news? So we're going to be in Romans chapter 3. If you have a church Bible, please pull that out. You can follow along. It's page 1,114. So we're going to be in, in chapter 3. Now, as you're, you're looking there, what you'll see is the first eight verses, the Apostle Paul is really asking a question. He's asking a question, and it, and it boils down to this, are Jews better off than Gentiles? So a Gentile is a non-Jew. So are Jews better off than Gentiles, considering that they're God's chosen people? that they have been set apart. They are people of the covenant that God established with Abraham. So are they better off when it comes to sin? Do they get a special dispensation, if you will, that, that marks them as good versus bad? That's the question that Paul is addressing. Now, it's important to realize that Paul himself is a Jew. Paul himself is a Jew. So now he is responding in verse 9. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. We are all under the power of sin. And then in verse 10, it says, as it is written. And what he's going to do is, is he's going to grab some pieces of Scripture, um, different parts from Psalms, parts from Isaiah, and he's going to align them here for us all to see. And what this is, is it's known as systematic theology. Systematic theology. It's a holistic approach to a certain subject. And so it looks at the whole Bible systematically and comes up with the answer. So you don't just look at a part, you look at the whole. So listen to what he says about humanity. He says, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The, per, the poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace 
They do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Well, that's uplifting, isn't it? You know, Paul has just said, like, each and every one of you, each and every one of us, we got a problem. From, from our heads all the way down to our feet, we have a problem. We have a problem with what we think and what we say. We have a problem with what we do. We have a problem. It's a sin problem. And this is bad news. It is bad news. But here, here's the thing. In the midst of bad news, I, I think there's some good news here. Because if you don't know you have a problem, you won't seek the cure, right? If you don't know you have a problem, then you won't seek the cure. There are a lot of our folks, sadly, in our church today that are dealing with some afflictions. And it's interesting. A number of them are dealing with an affliction that is causing them to lose a lot of weight. Now, typically, we'd be happy about that, right? Like most of us would say, I could stand to lose a little weight. Well, these people are not trying to lose weight. And so they know that they have a problem. And they're just not sure what the problem is. And so they're seeking out answers. They're going to various doctors. And, and there's a fear, right? Like you're, you're fearful that you're going to discover that you have a disease of some sort. Or, or maybe you have a tumor. Or God forbid you have cancer. But the not knowing tends to be worse than the knowing. Like even, even if it is a tumor or it's some kind of disease or it's cancer... Don't you want to know? Because once you know what the problem is, then you can seek the cure, right? And, and so for a lot of those people who still don't know, they would rather just be told, it's, it's this or that. So at least I have the hope of finding the cure. I think that's true. And, and so the Apostle Paul is doing that for us. Um, he's recognizing and pointing out that we all have a problem. It's a sin problem, and it's going to kill us, and we're going to die physically, but more importantly, we're going to die spiritually, that we're going to suffer this eternal separation from God because of this sin problem. And it's not that some people have this. It's that every single one of us have this problem, and that's bad news. That's bad news, but at least we know we have a problem, and God has pointed it out. Now, thankfully, Paul um, sort of tells us what's at, at the root of this problem. If you look at verses 11 and 18, 11 and 18 with me, um, he lays it out. He says, there is no one who seeks God. There is no one who seeks God, and there is no fear of God before their eyes. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, apart from God's intervention, apart from God's intervention, we don't seek after God. We don't seek after God. We seek after a God of our own making. Apart from God's intervention, we don't and we won't seek after God, but we will seek after a God of our own making. I want you to think about that statement for a bit. When I was getting my MBA, we had an outside speaker come in, and he was an IT professional. And 
I, I remember it like it was yesterday, and, and he came in and he was speaking on um, AI, artificial intelligence, and talking about virtual reality. And then he was focusing on um, sort of the moral and ethical ramifications of these things. And it was fascinating to listen to him. And all this, this auditorium of professionals were, were listening, and they were holding on to his every word. And as he was talking about some of the ethical issues, it, it sounded like his, his answers, his, his, his framework was based in Christianity. Like if you were a Christian, you'd be sitting there nodding your head going, yeah, I agree. I agree with you. And, and then he had some question and answer time. And, and I remember one person raised their hand and they asked, they said, are you a Christian? He said, I, I wouldn't describe myself as a Christian. He says, although I, I do uphold some Judeo-Christian principles, I, I also incorporate some Buddhist philosophy as well. And so everybody's just kind of shaking their head. Yeah, ah, that's good. And, and I'm telling you, he had everybody enamored. Fast forward a little bit, so it's time to graduate, and, and we got to figure out who are we going to invite to be our commencement speaker. And, and the group's like, we, we need that guy. Let's get him to come and speak. And, and I, I remember it so clearly, and I was like, you, you do re- realize that he was describing his own religion? Like, he has created his own religion, He's seeking after a God of his own making. Do you see that? And and most people didn't see it at all. Even the church-going people didn't see it. He was a man who was seeking after a God of his own making. Another example. I've used this before. Thomas Jefferson. Right? Here was a man... um, that really struggled to embrace Jesus' claim that he was God in the flesh. He he just couldn't couldn't embrace that. And he had a really difficult time with all the miracles in the Bible. And so what he did is he got out his razor blade and some scissors, and he began to cut out different passages in the Bible. And then he would tape it, specifically the New Testament. And then he started taping them, pasting them, however he did it, into his own little book. And at the, in the end, what he created was his own New Testament Bible, known as the Jefferson Bible. And so it was, it was absent of any of the miracles of Jesus, absent of, of Jesus turning water into wine, absent of Jesus walking on water. It was absent of the resurrection of Jesus. It was absent of the ascension of Jesus. He left all that out because he couldn't come to grips with the fact that Jesus said he was God in the flesh, and he performed these miracles. See, Thomas Jefferson recognized Jesus as a good man, a moral teacher. But that's not who Jesus said he was. And so Thomas Jefferson was seeking after a God of his own making. You know, like the IT professional, like Thomas Jefferson, I think each and every one of us are guilty of doing the same thing. Each and every one of us, including myself, I think we're guilty of doing the same thing. Now, we may not be so bold as to to cut up the existing Bible and make our own, 
or, or to say, you know, I, I blended Judeo-Christian principles and Buddhist philosophy together. But how many of us have made decisions that, you know, I'm not going to believe that. I'm going to believe this. Or I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this. How, how many of us have rejected certain things that God has said? You know, I think um, part of the challenge for us is, if we're honest, instead of us seeking after the God of the Bible and standing under his word, his authority, and conforming our thoughts and, and our actions to his thoughts and his actions, what have we done? Well, we placed it under our authority. We placed God under our authority. And so if there's something that he said or something that we don't agree with, we just dismiss it, kind of like Thomas Jefferson, or we just don't obey it. See, what we've done is we've made God smaller than ourselves. He has to answer to us, which is really verse 18. If you look at verse 18, this is what Paul was saying. Is that really the root of it all? He says that we don't fear God. And if we're honest with ourselves, we don't have a healthy fear of God. We don't respect God. We think God needs to answer to us. And as long as he performs as we think he ought to, then good. But if he fails to perform as we think he ought to, then we won't praise him. We won't give him our adoration. We won't give him our devotion. If we're honest with ourselves, we too have been seeking after a God of our own making because ultimately we don't fear God. We don't have the right respect for God. That's the bottom line. Now, some of you are sitting here or watching online and you're like, I do not agree with you, Scott. I think you're wrong. And that's good. It's okay to not agree with me. This is not about following Scott. And so I, I want you to challenge something that you've heard that you don't think is right. And, and I want you to go to the Bible. And I want you to search it out for yourself. And I want you to make some notes. And then I want you to contact me. And let's sit down. And I would love for you to point out where I have missed the mark. Because I may have missed the mark somewhere here. And if I have... I want to humbly come back before the church and confess it and repent of it because I don't want to stand here and say anything that is not true. And so you have a responsibility to keep me in check, to make sure that what I'm saying and what I'm doing aligns with the Bible. Fair enough? So I'm giving you that permission to do that. I'm imploring you to do that because the last thing I want to do is lead somebody astray. But I do want to challenge your thinking. I want to challenge my own thinking as well. Why do you believe what you believe? Have you ever taken some time to consider that? Why do you believe what you believe? And then be honest with yourself. Have you sought the God of the Bible or have you sought a God of your own making? Just be honest with yourself. One thing I do hope 
that I've got you thinking. One thing I hope that I've made the point that nobody is good, not even a single one of us is truly good by God's standard. I hope that I've convinced you that we all have a problem and that problem is going to lead to our death, not just a physical death, but a spiritual death that we will be eternally separated from God. And as as bad as that may sound, I, I tell it to you because I think it's good news. Because unless you know that you have a problem, you won't seek the cure. And the good news is God has a cure. He has a cure for you and for me, and it's found in the person of Jesus. And if you will keep coming back for the next two weeks, we're going to talk about the cure. And, and I'm going to show you, um, hopefully... How you can go from being bad to good. How you can go from being a sinner to a saint. Let's pray. God, this can be some hard truth. And there are some that that may not believe it or embrace it, and that's okay. I hope, hope what that does is it just... It, it, it spurs them on to seek the answers, to truly seek the truth that I believe is only found in you and found in your word. That's revealed to us through your spirit. And so if, if nothing else came of this this morning, I, I pray that we would do that, that we would truly do that. And Jesus, you said it. If you seek, then you're going to find. And I pray for each of us that we would be seekers, that we would be knocking on your door, asking for the truth to be revealed to us and that we would find that truth. Thank you, Lord, that while we have a major problem, you got an incredible cure. May we stick around and continue to explore that cure. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.